Welcome to the Campus Rush Podcast. We believe that God will speak through this word and meet you right at the point of your need. We hope that God will bless you through this message. Our series tonight on Refiner's Fire. And uh, have you been enjoying the series so far? Anybody been enjoying it? We've been in five weeks of, of what has been a pruning season for us what has been a season where, of holiness, what has been a season whereby we're setting ourselves apart for what God wants to do for us. We've come to the realization and we've realized that should God want to do anything with a people, he first has to separate us so that we can be emptied of what the things on the inside of us are so that we can be set apart for God's use. Um, that's what we've been looking at for the last four, three, four weeks. And I want to conclude it tonight and then move into some other stuff from next week uh, until the buildup of conference. Um, uh, you're ready for the word tonight? Yeah. So Refiner's Fire uh, finale, I entitled this message Behind the Scenes. Um, you know, uh, growing up, I've always, you know, been one to be into theater and stuff like that. Uh, anybody do theater growing up? Anybody in a play before? Let me see. Man, there's a lot of actors. Oh, whoa, okay. All right, name me, throw out some plays that you guys were in. Let me hear, I want to hear some stuff. Shakespeare. Shakespeare? I got Shakespeare. What do I got? What, hairspray? What else? I know you were legally blonde. I don't know why you're just trying to tell me. He was in the, what else? Throw some stuff out at me. What's that? The Grinch? Someone said the Grinch. What else? Give me two more. Grease, someone was in Grease. What else? Peter Pan. Wow. My school in my grade 11th year, uh, I signed up to do Frankenstein. I also did legally blonde as well. I wouldn't tell you which character I was. But uh, I've, always, <laughs> I've always been into, into theater, I've always been into public speaking, I've always been into this thing. And um, uh, one thing I love about theater, specifically in the Frankenstein uh, um, play that I was in, I was like the, the captain. So I started the play with a monologue and I ended the play with a monologue. And the, the greatest thing about this is that my monologue was probably about two pages long. It was a really, really long a piece, and for those who don't know what a monologue is in theater, it's basically just a solo piece that you're doing by yourself. And I had to stand up, and I, I I'm trying to remember some lines, but it's just escaping me. It's been like so many years, but I remember opening up the curtains, and they're like, Frankenstein, everybody's clapping their hands, and they just see me there, just on the side of a boat, like, you know what I mean? And I'm starting off this huge monologue, and, and I remember that as I was doing the monologue, I made a mistake in my lines. And for those who are in theater, you know that your lines set somebody else up for their other lines. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, if you miss your line, they miss their cue. You know what I'm saying? So what happened is, you know, I, I, <laughs> I missed my line. Uh, but the, the great thing about this is that the only people who knew that we missed our lines was the people who were in the play. It was the people who were behind the scenes, who were people who were actually part of the production. And uh, thank, thanks be to God, the, the co-star of the play was such a great improv person that he just kind of knew what to do and we just improv half of the intro and then we just found ourselves and picked ourselves back up from where our line started from and uh, everything was cool but one thing I learned from that experience and from this analogy is that sometimes as actors sometimes as people who are on the stage many times we give people uh, 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 something that they want to see and many times uh, uh, the things that we that we forget the lines that we forget the people who are coming in the audience have no idea the only people who know are the people who are behind the scenes and God began to speak to me through this analogy and it may be really weird for you but God began to speak to me through this and tell me that sometimes that we we tend to produce an image sometimes of something that's actually not consistent with our true selves. 
Uh, God was speaking to me very, very simply, Pastor Riley. He said that many times uh, there's a back end, there's a back behind the stage, but then there's a front stage where the lights, camera, and action are. And many times we want to give people a portrayal that everything is perfect, that everything is all right, that everything is cool, that we've never tripped before, I've never drank before, I've never done anything before, I've always been perfect. But that may not have been your struggle, but you do struggle. Anybody in this room have struggles? Can I see by raising a hand? If you don't have a struggle, I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to give you some of my struggles. You can take it. And, and in, 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 in talking about that, it's so interesting because not only do we do that in theater, but also with this advent of this thing that we have called social media. We have the ability to crop, to filter, to change how we want people to perceive us. Am I right or am I wrong? We have this way that if the picture is not the proper lighting, we're going to make sure we have to take the picture time and time and time again until we have a proper lighting. Am I talking to somebody? Someone say preach, pastor. And we have this ability, you know, to say, okay, you know what? We want this filter or that filter or that filter or that filter. And all we're really trying to do is portray an image that we are not. The thing with social media, oh, come on, are you here tonight? Let me finish this sermon series strong. The thing with social media is this, is that it gives us the opportunity to portray an image that is not consistent with our true desires, our true selves. I mean, if it was completely consistent, whatever picture you took is what you post. Someone say, ouch, that's hurting. I belong to this generation as well. You know, and, 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 and that's the thing. Now, I began to ask myself, I said, Pastor Ryan, why do we not, why do we care so much about how people perceive our lives? I mean, I, you know, I was talking to my brother the other day, or I was talking to, to, one, of my, to one of my brothers. I won't say which one it is. And, you know, <laughs> actually, no, let me not share that story. Let me not, let me not. You know, uh, I'm going to share it. So, too sad. I was talking to my brother the other day, and I was like, you know what? I'm like, so... You know, just brother, brotherly talk, you know. Today we're having a conversation, so I'm like, some brotherly talk. I'm like, what do you do to, you know, you know talk to girls these days? You know, what, what do the young people do, you know? What do you guys do? You know, I'm interested. I'm a big brother. I have three younger brothers. I'm like, what do you guys do? He's like, I'm like, do you get their number? Do you get, he's like, no, Snapchat. I said, Snapchat? I'm like, what happened to the days where you try to get the girl's number, call her phone, and her mom picks up like, her mom is like, hello? Sorry, I thought this was Cindy. Oh, let me go. Cindy! Your brother, I mean, your friend is on the line. I mean, what happened to the good old days? What happened to MSN? What happened to just... It was so simple. There were simpler times. What happened to the days of just simply, can I, 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 can I start from MSN so that I could potentially get your home number? Now all you need to do is add somebody. They don't even have to give you the permission. You just have to add them and you can see everything about their lives. And I began to perceive it. I asked my brother, I said, why do people do this? He said, because you get to see their lifestyle without actually getting to be too much in their space. You get to know their rhythm. You get to know what they do. Because, and I told him, I said, do you know that what they're showing you is what they want you to see? 
That's not the real them. It's what they want. If, they, if, if it wasn't what they wanted you to see, they would never have posted it. But because it's what they want you to see, you fall in love with a fake image. So what we're doing is we're falling in love with idols. We're falling in love with symbols. We're falling in love with things that are actually not what they are. And then when it comes to the boy, we have to talk to them in the person. You don't know how to speak to them because you only know them in one way. But the thing is that it's not consistent with who they really are. And that's exactly what we do with God. We paint an image to him that's not consistent with who we are. We try to crop our faith, filter our faith, do whatever we have to do in order to look good in front of God and his people. Because God knows his people matter. And if ever we try to paint an image that is, that is our true selves, we feel as though it won't be widely accepted by God. But I want to tell somebody that God already knows who you are. Yes. He, he created you for a purpose. Now, I asked God, I said, God, why are we so in love with this image, this self-image uh, that is slowly turning into self-righteousness and self-idolatry? I said, why are we so in love with this? And he told me three things. He said, number one is acceptance. We have this longing to be accepted. You know, psychology people who know Maslow's five, you know, hierarchy of needs and so on and so forth. I'm not going there, but I'm talking about acceptance and just simple acceptance. Number two, God told me was that we have this, this longing to be included. This thing to, I want to feel included. I, I, we have this longing for inclusion. I want to be included. And this last thing God was telling me was this relevance. So the, the reason why our generation is so engulfed in this image of self is because we want to remain relevant. We don't want to fall back to the times, which is very important. Trust me, I'm not bashing social media. I use social media. But I'm talking about the reasoning behind which we do. Because it's the reasoning that I'm more concerned about. Not, not, not necessarily how you're using it, because you can use it in other forms and other means. But the reasoning behind which, is it to portray an image of something that is not or it's the portraying image of something that truly is. And so I asked God, I said, how do you want me to relay this message to your people? We're ending this series, this series of a detox season, this series of holiness. And he said, I want you to end this series with trying to help my people to be able to line up their behind the scenes with the front of stage. He said, give them keys to be able to align and straighten through the grace of God what appears to be behind the scenes with what appears to be on the front stage. He said, can you teach my people on transparency? Can you teach them how to be transparent? I said, God, uh, <laughs> you're still working on me. I'm, I'm not where I want to be uh, uh, yet, but I know that, God, you're bringing me to the place where I need to be. And God said, can you turn your Bible and focus on a man in the scripture by the name of Moses? And I said, what do you want me to learn in, in, in this scripture? He said, well, first of all, I want you to outline three things about him. And we're going to look at his life and look at what he did to, be, to make sure that his, his image of his true self was consistent with his image amongst the men and amongst people. Are you with me tonight? Can we dive into it tonight? Uh, it's not always the easiest thing to let our backstage be consistent with our main stage, but Moses found it. Three things, you need to, or, yeah, three things you need to know about Moses, three characteristics. Really simply, I don't want to read the scripture because it can be long. You can find it in Exodus 2, but I just want to simply go over it, and then we will uh, go into a time of administration. Number one, Moses was preserved. Okay, we're doing a, a quick study, a quick Bible study on the life of Moses. He was preserved in that what? In that he was not meant to be alive. 
you know the scripture at that time they were killing all the Hebrew boys under two years old and that was something that the law had put into place and so the Bible says this the Bible says that Moses' mother had him but there's something I found interesting guys it was this that as Moses' mother had him she saw that he was so beautiful the Bible actually says in the NLT he was so fine that she had to hide him for three months and God just said something in my mind and my spirit began to connect with it. And he said that there were some things God's birthing out of many of you here that must go into hiding for some time. Because should it be exposed, they will be killed. Let me repeat that. I don't think you got it. I said that, that there's some things that the, God wants to birth out on the outside of you from inside to outside. But the thing is that it's such a good idea that if you expose it prematurely, people will kill it. Your own, your, own, your own inexperience will kill the idea. There's many times that I've had incredible ideas. I want to do this. I'm very ambitious. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do that. But then I looked at myself. I said, if I try to do that, I don't have the experience yet to, to handle the, the vision that God wants me to do at this level. So sometimes you have to put that vision on snooze. Put it to, best, to, the, put it to bed. Put it to rest right now and say, it's going to be in a season of hiding. Because after three months, after it's old enough, when it begins to come out, it will fall into the right hands. And when it falls into the right hands, it will begin to live out its purpose. I speak that over you. May you find the right purpose that will bring you to a greater insight of what God wants you to do. May you connect with the right people that will not, not kill your vision, but will preserve your vision. Somebody say, my vision, my vision. is preserved. preserved. My vision, vision cannot be stopped. If God said it, He'll do it. Put those two hands together. Give God a praise. Come on. You can do better than that. Give God a louder praise tonight. Lord. Number two, you have to understand that Moses was born a Hebrew, but he was raised an Egyptian. Sometimes God will have you leave your comfort zone, have you leave your place where you were born to be able to be raised by somebody else or to be raised by a different type of people to get a different type of experience. Many of you came here to school here, but now you've, you've you know, become accustomed to this culture now. You've, you've become uh, so close to the Canadian culture and how we do things here. It doesn't mean that you have lost where you're from and your roots. All it means is that you've come to a new knowledge and a new understanding and you've identified with a new culture. Moses had to understand that even though he was born Hebrew, he was actually raised Egyptian. And what that did, honestly, quite frankly, is that that created kind of an identity crisis for him. It's because he didn't know, do I identify with my Hebrew side or do I identify with my Egyptian side? I was born Hebrew, but I'm raised Egyptian. What do I do? And he, he came into this identity part, part of his life where he was really unsure of where do I pledge my allegiance to? Where do I, do I, do I, do I say that I'm a child of God and still have my friends who are in the world? Like, what do I do with this thing? How do I work this thing out? And Moses had to come to a point where uh, uh, his indecision actually landed him in trouble. And the third thing you have to realize is that he was a murderer. This very uh, problem of, of not knowing how to pledge allegiance to whichever identity that he was formed landed him in trouble. Uh, the Bible goes on to say this, and I'm really paraphrasing tonight because I want us to just generally have a conversation. The Bible says this, the Bible says that he saw uh, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and what he did is that the Hebrew side of him came out that he couldn't watch a foreigner beat on somebody that's from where he's from and he ended up killing the Egyptian and buried him. Now, this is where the, this, the, the plot twist is that he thought that nobody saw him. And that's where we're going to camp tonight. Many times we think that people don't see our behind the scenes. 
you that God can't see it? Who told you that nobody sees it? Because the thing about the behind the scenes is that many times when you think people can't see it, it shows on your face. It shows in your actions. It shows in your speech. It shows in the way that you conduct yourself. It, it reflects itself out, from the inside out. And so he thought nobody saw him. He thought nobody saw him. Then what ended up happening was later on he sees these two Hebrew guys fighting. Like this. And they look back to him and they say, do you want us to, to die the same way you killed that Egyptian guy? And that's when it hit him. Man, I, I've lost my cover. May God never bring you to the place where you get to that point where it's, man, I've lost my cover. Because you always want to be consistently in a place whereby you can be in a place of accountability so that people can see who you are. Because when God humbles you, that's a different thing. You don't want God to humble you. We should get to the point where we're saying, God, we humble ourselves before you. Anybody want to, want to say that? Is that your prayer? God, I want to humble myself before you. Let that be your prayer. God, I want to humble myself before you. So because of this, and I'm paraphrasing, because, because Moses was a murderer and killed another Egyptian, he flees from Pharaoh, and now he's in hiding. Now, this is the greatest thing you have to realize, is that when you come to a point where you've been exposed, where you're backstage, it's completely not consistent with your front stage, and your cover has been blown, like you're in this place where you're like, oh my gosh, like, people didn't think I was like this, and then uh, they found out I was like this, and they found out that I'm, I'm, I'm not how I said I was gonna be, and, and this whole thing has been blown up, and my transparency level that they thought was so high is actually very low. Once you get to this point, the only thing that can save you in that point is what I call a God encounter. A God encounter. Someone repeat after me, say God encounter. God encounter. Come on, say it like you believe it, say God encounter. The one thing that can save you in that circumstance is what I call a God encounter. It's when you come into the contact with God's grace. It's when you, you, you just run into the grace of God where you didn't think that you were supposed to get there, but then God's grace meets you on the way. It's just like in the Bible where Saul is being converted into Paul. And you look at it in Acts 9 where he wasn't supposed to be. He actually had the rights to kill you know, other believers and followers of Jesus. But then on the way to Damascus, he has a God encounter. When God wants to do something with anybody, he first marks them with an encounter that changes everything. Has anybody had an encounter like that that changes everything? Anybody? Oh, you got to talk to me tonight, church. Any, anybody like that? Have you ever had an encounter like that? Where you come into the knowledge of God's grace? Look at what was happening to Moses. I want to paint this image so you get it where we're going to camp tonight. He was a murderer, okay? He had killed somebody. So he was fleeing and he was running. And on the way of him running after he gets married, you know, and all that stuff happens, he then goes into the wilderness and bam, he sees a tree that is burning but is not yet consumed. And he has an encounter with God right there. Many people think that the, the, the advent of trials means the absence of God. But in actuality, the, the advent of trials is just a signal that God is in the midst of it. The Bible says it to count it all joy when you are tried with diverse trials. Because through that time, God is bringing you out. He's creating. His glory can be seen through it. Come on, give God a praise right there. I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if I'm preaching to a room tonight. 
So Moses comes and he has his God encounter. And the first point I want you to write down now is that once you've come to this point whereby you, you, you willfully want to make your backstage consistent with your front stage, the first thing you need to do is come to Jesus. That's the first thing. The first thing you need to do is come to Jesus. And I implore you to take some notes down. It's going to help you. First thing you need to do is come to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. It says the old has gone and the new is here. The first thing you want to do in order to make your backstage consistent with your front stage is be in the presence of God and come to Jesus. Everyone needs a God encounter. A time where they come into contact with God's grace and he reveals his plans to them. But the, the great thing about it, and this is what I found so interesting when God was speaking to me, is that this is the good part. When you come into the knowledge of the grace of God, you come into the presence of the grace of God, that's the easy part. That's the part whereby, yes, it was a little tough, but once I got here, the relationship that I had with God was so sweet. That is a great, that's the best part of it. Now, let me tell you where the hard part comes in. The hard part is when you get good at your purpose and you get you master your assignment and you get so entrenched in this relationship that you do have with Christ that it becomes harder to gain a new way of seeing Jesus. That's the hard part. That's the hard part. The easy part is saying, God, I know I messed up, so I come to you. Like I, when I look at my life and I look at how far God has brought me and I look at how jacked up I was and some of you know my testimony, some of you don't know my testimony and you know that I was running from the call and you know that I was, you know, I didn't want to do anything about ministry. I wasn't trying to be this guy. This guy you see here, I didn't want to be this guy. I wanted to be somebody who played music, run off to the side of the stage, you know, be texting during service, you know what I mean, and doing my thing, you know, and just chilling, going outside, going to McDonald's during the word and, you know. I want to be that type of, you know. I'm going to be honest. Can I be honest? Oh, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Can I be honest in this room? I wanted to be that type of guy. I just kind of wanted to be. Honestly, not everybody wants to be a mediocre Christian, but I kind of wanted to wear that badge. <laughs> I wanted to be mediocre because I knew that, man, if I'm living bad, I'm going to live bad. So I might as well live bad and come a little bit to church and then clean up myself on Sundays and then go back into the thing. And by Saturday, I'm really dirty. God, I'm messed up. So I need you on Sunday. And then it starts all over again. Monday, it's all good. Tuesday, oh, it's blessed. Wednesday, oh, God. Thursday, Jesus. Friday, oh! Saturday, God, I need you. If you don't come today, I'm messed up. I said I wasn't going to do it, but then I did it again. I said I wasn't going to pick up the booty call, but God, she's fine. God, I need you by Sunday. God, I need you by Sunday. Anybody ever needed God by Sunday? Anybody? Anybody ever needed God on Sunday? Come on, don't look at me like that. You know that if it had not been for God who was on your side, you'd be messed up. Don't look at me with those eyes like I'm the only one who's been in a situation like that. Someone say, I hear you. I said, God, I need you. I said, Sunday is great, but Monday, Tuesday, by Friday? Oh, by Friday, I'm limping to the finish line. And you're saying, why don't you just read your Bible? Why don't you just pray? Why? Hey, listen. Hey. Hey. It sounds good. But when you wake up in the morning and you have so many things to do and you have to make sure that your online image is consistent. When you have to make sure that it reflects. When you have to make sure that you uphold an image that people fall in love with. Sometimes it takes your attention 
greater than trying to feed your inner man, who is your true self. Trust me, I'm not bashing social media people. Trust me, I'm not. But I want you to understand what it means to truly have an image that is consistent with who you are. Because if you don't, people will fall in love with a false symbol. They'll fall in love with a false symbol. That by the time they try to get to know you, you have, you have just evolved into something they never expected. Like, what the heck? What the, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. You know, and so we have to make sure that our image, and kind of, I'm not talking simply about physical image. Please be careful. I'm talking about the messaging. Okay? Don't think about it. I'm just talking about that. I'm talking about your messaging as a believer should be consistent with who you are because why lie? Let your backstage be consistent with your front stage. Transparency and honesty is what draws God close because we're talking about refiner's fire. Refiner's fire, you know what it means? It means clearing out the closet. It's clearing out the things that are in the closet, clearing out the things that people can't see. So that is consistent with what God is trying to create on the inside of you. Are you hearing me tonight? Are you sure you're hearing me tonight? So the, like I was saying, the, the hard part is coming to the knowledge of you know, the purpose and living in the purpose and sitting in the purpose a little bit and then getting comfortable in the purpose, you know, to the point whereby you know, you're sitting down and you're chilling in the purpose. You know, God, I've seen you do a burning bush. What else can you do? You know, I've, I've walked with you in the wilderness. I mean, what else can you do? What else? God, I, I've, I've, been, I've been a servant. I've been coming to church. What more can you do? And you know what we do when we get comfortable with God? We place a specific limitation on God. That's what it does. Being comfortable places a limitation and saying, God, I know you to do this, 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 but I don't think you can do anything else. So we put this cap on God like he can only do one to five, but he can't do 17. Like, God, you can't do that. So we place this limitation on God. And what that does is that that forms this, this old expectation that it becomes difficult to break into a new expectation. It's one of the most dangerous things as believers. One of, like I was telling the, the intercessors, we were praying last night, I said, a lot of people think that, you know, a dangerous thing uh, of a believer is living a life of sin, which it is. It, it's, 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 it's vital that we live in holiness. It's very important. That's what I'm preaching in this series. But one of the main things that I believe God has ministered to me by day is one of the toughest things that you have to fight once you become established in your faith is the fight of complacency. That's actually a real fight. It's the fight to say, God, I always want you to be relevant in my life. It's a fight for relevancy because when God, how many of you know that when God is the number one in your life, nobody has to tell you to read the word. You read it. Oh, can I talk to you? Nobody has to beg you to pray. You pray. But when you become established, like, I know the word, you know, I know wherever two or three gathered, God, you're here. I know the word. I, I know it. I know the word inside out. And when you become to a point where you've built this complacency in God, the toughest thing is Fighting that complacency to develop a new hunger and desire. It's such a hard thing. But Moses understood something. You see, Moses came to the point whereby he said, God, I know that I've seen you do the burning bush before. I know that I've seen you do incredible miracles before, but I'm still not satisfied. I'm still not satisfied. Somebody say, I'm not satisfied. Come on, say it louder. Say, I'm not satisfied. 
I can't hear you. See, I'm not satisfied. The absence of hunger is one of the most dangerous things for a generation to latch on to. The absence of a desire for God. Like, I don't want God. I know God to do this. Why do I think he can't? Like, you know what I mean? like, the absence of hunger is one of the most dangerous things that a generation could latch on to. So Moses understands this and Moses says, I know other people who have walked before you have failed you, God, because they haven't latched onto a desire and a hunger to know you more, but I'm different. Somebody shout, I'm different. Come on, shout out like you believe you. Say, I'm different. I believe you're different. Why? Because Moses understood in Exodus 33 that God, I've seen you do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, but there's one thing that you still have not yet done for me. And that's this, God, I'm not going unless you're coming. In Exodus 33, God tells Moses, take my people through the wilderness. And Moses says simply, God, I'm not going if you're not with me. He said, I actually won't go unless your presence goes before me. Unless your presence goes with me. That's the first thing that we need to understand. If you want your backstage to be consistent with your front stage, we're learning from the life of Moses and what he did to be consistent. The first thing he did was say, God, your presence is all that matters. It's the presence of God that will keep you. You know why? Because it's tough to sin when you know God is around. It's, it, it's tough to sin when you know. You know have, you, man, have, you, have you ever tried to sin while you're worshiping? It's almost like you can't. It, it's like it fights each other. Oh, I don't know if I'm in the right room. It, like, it fights each, like, it's almost, you can't. Because there's this deep conviction on the inside of you. That's like, how can I be living a life that's inconsistent with who I really am if the floodgate of God's presence is around me? So I'm helping somebody out here who's, who's stuck in that cycle of sin. One of the greatest things you can do is when you feel you want to sin, just turn on the Bible. Let it play, audiobook. Just let it play. From Genesis, let it play. Just let it play. Psalms, let it play. Let the presence of God saturate your room. I'm, no, I'm helping somebody tonight. Let the presence of God saturate your room because at that point, your, your, your backstage has no point, no chance but just to align to your front. Like it has no choice. It must align because the presence of God changes everything. And so when Moses is standing there, Moses is saying, God, I've seen you do one, two, three, and four. I, 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 can, I can say that I'm complacent with my walk with you, but yet still, even though I'm matured in you, I'm not satisfied in you. That's what we need to rise to become. God, I'm matured in the things of God, but I'm not yet satisfied with the things of God. That creates an, ever, an everlasting hunger for God, which is this, God, if you are not going with me, I don't want to be there. Because I know it's your presence that will change everything. It's your presence that changes everything. And, and, and I'm going to give you the second point, and then we're going to be out of here tonight. The second point that Moses learns from this situation, I want us to read Exodus 33, 7 to 10. And then we're going to be out of here. Exodus 33, 7 to 10. Um, we have it here. It says, I can't read that first part. It says, it was Moses' practice to take the tent meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. It says everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Verses 38. It says whenever Moses went out to the tent meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance of their own tents. I, I want you to understand this. 
that number one, Moses had a place where he met God, a tent. But it also says that everybody else that was with him, this is the story in the wilderness, after the presence goes with him, this is what happens while he's in the wilderness. This is how he began to talk to God in the wilderness. Number one was that he had a place of meeting with God. Number two was that everybody else had a place of meeting with God. Meaning that what? That, that your experience wasn't just dependent on the one that leads you, but everybody had a relationship for their own. Everybody had a place where they met with God, not just meeting with God through the experience of the one who leads you. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. Verses 9. As he went into the tent, I want you to read this next part from V, okay? One, two, three, and go. No, it's a lie. Let's read it. What? <laughs> One, two, three, and go. So there was a pillar of cloud that would come down and hover over the entrance of the tent as, as God was speaking with Moses and as Moses was speaking with God. Verses 10, this is where we're going to camp. And then one, let's read it together. One, two, three, and go. You have to understand that what that cloud represents is the glory of God. That cloud represents the, gav, the kavod, the glory, the weight of God. And so what I'm saying is very, very simply tonight. Really what I'm saying is this, is that Moses understood that it wasn't all right for him to be complacent with his walk with God. Because he realized that if you are complacent with your walk with God, you tend to not care about how your backstage is. You tend to not care about who you really are off script, off cameras. You don't really care as much if you don't have a hunger and a desire for more. Then what happens is Moses understands that and he says there's two things that I will not live without because I know it's these two things that is helping me to create an everlasting, never-ending hunger for God. Number one is his presence and number two, Moses had a place where he met God. Moses had a place where he met God. He had a place where he woke up in the morning and he knew this is the place where I can speak with God. And every time he spoke with God, a cloud came down. A cloud of glory came down. And everybody could see the cloud of glory coming down. I want to tell somebody this, that you have been at the same level for too long. You have been at this same level for too long. That God is saying, can I begin to converse with you in such a way that my presence affects your neighbors and your roommates? Can I begin to converse with you to the point whereby your, your, your roommate is cooking eggs and she'd be slain in the spirit because the presence of God sweeps your whole house? Like, can I begin to talk to you in a place where you begin to see tangible miracles? I don't know if anybody's so hungry for miracles in this. I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe I'm just preaching to the online today. But if I am, I want to tell you that there is a hunger God is looking for. But that hunger comes with first a thirst for the presence of God. And number two, a place where you meet God face to face. Where you can come down and sit and you can converse with God and you can speak to him face to face and God speaks to you face to face in a place where you say, God, this time I've carved out for you because I know that if I carve out time for you every day, there's no way that my backstage wouldn't be inconsistent with my front of stage. Because through the word of God, you're convicting my spirit. Through the word of God, you're realigning my purpose for you. It's really tough to live a life of sin when your life is filled with the word. It's, it's nearly impossible to live in cycles 
when you're conversing with God every day, don't you think God would talk to you about your behind the scenes? I mean, he would convict you through the Holy Spirit so much that you wouldn't even be able to sin anymore. I want you to get to the point whereby you're not becoming a subject and saying, I've always been like this. I always sin, so I live in a life of sin. I want you to come to the point where you're saying, I am the holiness of God protecting my holiness. I'm the righteousness of God protecting my righteousness. That it's not that I'm subject to sin, but it's the fact that I try to be separated from sin. But should I fall, it's just for a moment because I will rise. There's two messages the devil hates believers to hear. Number one is a message on tithing. Number two is a message on holiness. Tithing and holiness. Because the enemy knows what a church can become when the church knows that it's not subject to sin. But we are the holiness protecting territory. Everything is a mentality. Moses understood that and Moses got to that point. And I believe tonight what we need above everything else is revival in our secret places. Revival in our secret places of prayer. Because until we have revival in the secret place behind the scenes where God begins to now do things behind the scenes, we won't have a true consistent public display. We won't. We won't, we won't, we won't. And the reason why I'm being very unapologetic on how I'm preaching tonight is because we need to come to the point whereby there is revival in our prayer lives. Where we're not just depending on the worship leader to bring us into the presence. I'm just going to wait till Thursday because when they sing Oceans, oh my God, that's my jam. Like when they begin to hit that, when I call you, like that, they didn't hit it tonight. You know, I'm not in the presence tonight. No, it shouldn't be based upon the set list. Your relationship with God is beyond a set list. Oh man, I'm preaching tonight. There's some messages you should leave this place like, oh God. This is one of those nights. You leave it like, God, I just, the pastor just beat me. Oh God. My spirit is just God. It's one of those services tonight. Because the series, of, uh, the series finale of Refiner's Fire, and I told you by the time we leave this five-week series, your gold will be so bright that everybody will see the gold in you. Our walks with God are beyond a set list. Our walks with God is beyond the worship just in church corporately. God is looking for an individualistic worship that starts from secret times of prayer. Until we get to the point where in your closet you're crying out to God. Huh. The revival we're seeing here is just the remnant. It's not even anything yet. It's just the beginning. It's not, it's not what God truly is trying to say to our generation. Because our generation needs to get to a point whereby our knees are in prayer. We get to the point where there's revival in our prayer life. Tonight, God brought me on an assignment. And the assignment was very easy. It was to revive your prayer lives in your closets. So that your behind the scenes has no choice but to be consistent with what people see. So that whatever you do in life is consistent. But if we want to see a global revival, and I know, I know, I know in this place, there's more than two or three that want to see God do something in this generation. I know that for a fact. It starts with a revival in our secret places. Moses said that there is a place where I meet God, and when I meet God, the cloud comes down, a cloud of glory. This is not stories we're telling. This is something that actually happened. 
A cloud comes down and sits on a building when I meet with God and I converse with God. There was such a revival that was happening in the tent when Moses met with God that everybody would stand up and salute Moses as he went because they know by the time he comes out of that closet, there is a revelation for them. As the time he comes out of that closet, there is a breakthrough that's on the other side for them. They understand that if their leader can encounter God, then it means that their encounter with God is just a touch away. Be on our feet. We're gonna pray tonight. We're gonna pray tonight. Good Lord. Good Lord. Good Lord. Good Lord. Until we see a revival in our secret places. If you forget anything I said, don't forget what I just said tonight. Unless we see an awakening in our secret places of prayer, we will never see what God wants to do publicly through us in terms of revival. Revival starts within. It starts with first a passion. It starts with secondly a desire. Thirdly, it then goes into a secret place of intercession and prayer. Revival is intercession and saying, God, you sought for a man that could stand in the gap. How come nobody could stand in the gap? It says, I sought for a man that would stand in the gap, but I found no one. I found no one. I couldn't find a person. I couldn't find anybody who would labor in prayer because prayer is something of the spirit. Prayer is what happens in the spirit. And so God is saying to his church tonight, I I'm returning, but I won't return until I'm coming to meet a spotless bride. Now, the way that I will do that is when the church gets to the point of intercession in the closet. When your closet is revived. When there is fire that is falling on the place where you meet God. Make a place. When you leave this place tonight, demarcate a place where you speak to God. If it's in your room, let it be a corner in the room. If it's in your, you have a walk-in closet, go into your walk-in closet. Shut the door. Say, this is the place where I meet God. This is the place where God speaks to me. This is my tent experience. This is the place where my, my life is revived. This is the place where I receive a one-on-one -on -one encounter with God. Demarcate a place. The one thing that the devil doesn't want you to hear, like I said, is a message on tithing and a message on holiness because he knows that holiness begins through a revelation and then it's sustained through intercession. When we get to the point where we are sustaining ourselves through holiness in times of intercession and times of prayer, the devil knows that our backstage and what people can't see on Thursday will always be consistent when we have a revival behind the scenes. If I'm to shut this curtain from side to side and I'm to stand behind it and I am begin to, you know, do stuff. You guys wouldn't be able to see what I'm doing because it's covered. Am I right or am I wrong? Come on, talk to me. Am I right or am I wrong? If this curtain is covered and I'm behind you, you can't see what I'm doing. You can't see what I've done before I've come here. You, you don't know what I've done because I'm behind you. You don't know we could be, you know, talking about music. You don't know what we're doing. All you get the privilege of seeing is the moment these curtains are removed and I stand up here. 
Then you begin to see what all of us are doing. Now, simply what God is saying to his church is, listen, I don't want there to be an inconsistency with what people can see and what people can see. That's all. God is saying, I want there to be a consistency. I want that even if these curtains were see-through, they should be consistent. Somebody once told me when I was growing up, and this is what used to scare us to a life of holiness. He said, what if, what if one day God was to broadcast your life on the screen? Some of us would run out of this place. What if, what if there was a technology that could just plug to your brain and we could just begin to see, and we could just watch your life for the last one week? Would you be proud of it? Or, or, or would, you, would, you, would you cover yourself and say, that's not me, that's, that's not me, that's not me. That's, that's, not, that's not me, that's not me. I didn't do that. Listen, God, he wants to do something with you. But he has to refine you through the fire. And with that, I bring our series to a conclusion. Raise your hands. Let's begin to pray. My God. I want you to pray that God will revive your prayer life. Because that's what we need above all. We need God to revive. We need to experience fire. The real fire of the Holy Ghost. We need to experience the fire, Pastor Oba, in our secret places. Do you know, let me say this. It's easy to pray in public. It's easy. Just clap your hands and pray. Everybody prays. It's easy to pray in public. In fact, people like public prayers. They like corporate prayers. My brother and I know we live in the same house. Very rarely do we even pray together because we are both selfish with our prayer lives. We, I like praying by myself. My brother likes praying by himself. Maybe every once in a while we'll pray together. But because we understand that praying in the midst, in the corporate church, it is, it is easier than praying on your own because on your own nobody sees you in here if you don't pray we're like can you believe they didn't pray <laughs> wow prayer life dead we're like you know what I mean like <laughs> prayer life not there you know and so and so what happens is we have this constant longing to be able to be relevant even within the church that we actually want to pray in public so people think that that's what our backstage is saying the louder I pray in public the more they probably think my prayer life is like let me tell you this prayer, prayer am I preaching prayer is not about how loud you can pray Prayer is not in volume. It's not the louder you pray, the more God hears you. No. Whoever told you that, I dispel that. It's not, it's not good theology. It's not. The louder you pray, the more God hears you. No. There is a point where it's a restless type of prayer. That you want what is on the inside of you to reflect the outside. That's fine. But when you're saying that you have to pray loudly in order for God to hear you, I can't agree with that. Prayer is from the heart saying, God... I want to be where you are. God, I want my life behind the scenes to be consistent with you. Because I know that corporate prayer is blessed. But it's the individual times when the curtains are crossed and nobody sees me. Are you praying at 4 a.m. in the morning? Are you praying at 3 a.m.? Are you by your bedside? God changed my life. God do something with me. God changed my circumstance. That's what God sees. 
revival in our prayer lives, Pastor Seth. We need a revival in our intercession from the closet. God, what, what happened to the days where it is you call somebody, I'm sorry, I'm in prayer right now, I'll call you right back. What happened to the days where when somebody posts something, you can't even like it because you're too engulfed in the presence of God? What happened to the days, Pastor Oba, where we hunger for God, where we say, God, if you don't come, we don't move, and it's not a song lyric. It is a desire from within. What happened to the days that you, where we say, God, we need your power because our lives were messed up. Listen, this is what happened. We got caught up at the first phase, which is the come to Jesus phase. The second phase is, God, I need your presence. The third phase is, God, I want an experience in your tent. We got caught up on the come to Jesus with my sins. I come to you. You get caught up in that so much that you don't realize that you begin to grow. That your new wine cannot fit in the old wineskin anymore. And so in order for you to get new wine, you got to break your old wineskin. stop here today but I want you to pray I didn't come here to be politically correct you know me by now that I'm not politically correct I only want to be where God is I only want to I want you to pray oh my god I feel the sweet presence of God in this place I don't know I don't know where you came from tonight I don't know why you came here tonight I don't know what your prayer life is but listen let me tell you this nobody cares you know what your life is when nobody's watching. Now is the moment to say, God, revive my prayer life. Because if I want my backstage to be consistent with my front of stage, I need to have an experience with you in the tent. Come on, begin to lift your voices right now. Begin to pray out of this place. And pray a prayer of desperation as, God, I need a revival in my prayer life, man. You need, you need a revival. You need a revival in your prayer life. You need, you need, you need a revival. If you've been praying for one level, you need to say, God, I want more of you. God, I want to pray to the point where by God, my my sweat becomes like blood. God, I need a revival. You need a revival in your prayer life. Thank you for tuning in to the Campus Rush Podcast. If you enjoyed this message and want to partner with us, visit us at www.campusrush.org to become a global partner or to partner with us in giving.